We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Play action. Allen going deep. Complete, but out of bounds. Robert Foster pulled it in. Third and four, Allen. Complete. First down. Allen takes a hit after he delivers it. Connects it. Boom. There, they have a plan for him. It is a methodical plan, and it's not one that's going to be rushed. But there's passes like that that make you want to accelerate things as he hooks up with Ray Ray McLeod, the rookie from Clemson. Allen from the gun. Lost this one up. Oh, nice catch and work by the tight end. Kari Lee fighting for a roster spot. Fought for position. Held his turf and pulled it in. Allen. There it is. Touchdown. His first of his NFL career. Ray Ray McLeod with the grab. Ooh, welcome everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that were all of the highlights from Josh Allen from Thursday night's preseason football game from the Buffalo Bills TV network. Most importantly, Rob Stone, who's known for soccer. (laughs) Reed was probably upset he couldn't watch the game because he loves soccer. Probably loves Rob Stone because he's known for soccer. (laughs) Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it is a beautiful thing. Football is back and we have an absolutely packed show for you tonight. Let's just dive right into this head first. All right, guys, and now we have a very special guest on with us tonight to kick off the show. Someone we haven't talked to in quite a while. Del Reed is on the phone with us. Del, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. (laughs) The pleasure's all ours. How's the summer been treating you so far? I mean, it's got to be good to see that football's finally back, right? Yeah, it is. You know what? It's always bittersweet. I love summer so much. I love football, too. But with... You know, as, even today, like as training camp is closing down, as the preseason schedule is starting to advance a little bit, there's and I love fall. And if you listen to WGR, you know Jeremy White, fall is elite. I get that, but I love summer, so it's always it's always a weird paradox for me in terms of like 
those two ends of the spectrum. Oh, absolutely. What a good summer. No, and since the last time we had you on the show, you know, some small things have happened here in Buffalo. I mean, Lloyd's Tacos got a brick-and-mortar location. Uh, Chris, my producer, managed to hurt himself not once, but twice, playing roller hockey with what I assume were children. And uh, the Bills made the playoffs. <laughs> they did it. I, I saw a tweet from you earlier today talking about how you're kind of, you've been talking about getting an Andy Dalton custom Bills jersey. Is that right? Well, I don't know. I just I think about it now and then. And, you know, in the past, how many months has it been now? Eight plus months. It's crossed my mind enough times where it's probably going to happen. That's the kind of one where it's, it'll, it'll be fun to have. It'll definitely never go out of style or, or people will always at least understand what what's going on there you know what i mean so it's one thing if you're wearing like a sammy watkins jersey or a mm-hmm. you know stevie johnson jersey well, i won't say that about stevie he's, he'll always be fashionable in my heart but <laughs> you know some guy who left or whatever um but to have that 14 dalton jersey would be pretty jersey. sweet yeah so yeah exactly so it'll be you know it's kind of timeless it's funny it's kitschy and i probably have a fifth jersey somewhere in the attic that i could probably repurpose anyway so That's, maybe it's as I'm talking through this, maybe it's going to happen sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Now, everybody, we all saw the crazy reaction videos. What was that like for you? You know, watching Andy Dalton throw the pass that was celebrated around the world. Uh, it, was, it was it was really cool. We were at a friend's house. It was New Year's Eve, um, and, and so I remember telling my wife, like, we you know we'll go to their house, but like I gotta have my laptop with me because a new shirt launches. You know, the next day, and if it, if they win, it's going to be one thing, and if they lose, it's going to be another. So I just got to be able to handle that. And <laughs> so that was kind of crazy. I had to manage that as well, too. So everybody's jumping and screaming. I'm jumping and screaming, and then I'm, like, running over the laptop and changing stuff and um, <laughs> getting her, getting ready to launch the shirt. And it's kind of, kind of weird how my life has changed in that respect. It's, there's so much more that kind of flows out of what happens. But um, it was great, and that was really cool, you know. Um, you know, having, you know, I was two kids. At the time, they were 14 and 11. Now they're 15 and 12. But uh, it was really cool to actually, because they've actually wondered in the past, like, why do you keep watching these Bills games? Why do you keep rooting for this team? They're bad. And they're always bad. <laughs> so for them, and I've always told them, like, because when they're good, it, it is so much fun. And I've seen it, and I know it's going to come back someday. Um, and then so for them to actually see something cool like that happen, was, that was really special. Yeah, I mean, you are the consummate professional, sir, balancing uh, your work, your life, you know, try your fandom and your, your this new thing that you've created over here at 26 Shirts. And, and in fact, I mean, if we could talk about that for a second, I want to wish you a belated congratulations. You guys cleared the half million dollar mark. Well, what was that, a month or so ago? That was a couple months ago now, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, and I'm always real quick, and I'm sorry if it sounds... Um, like a stick, but I mean it. Like we did not do it. It was everybody who ever bought a shirt did it. Because I always say, we can put all the shirts we can think of out there for sale. But if people don't buy them, if people don't believe in what we're doing, then no money gets raised. So I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, I'm not trying to sort of looking for patronizing. But really, that that's a accomplishment that belongs to anybody who's ever bought a shirt or shared it or sponsored a shirt or whatever. But thank you. Yeah, it's it's. Really, I've got my, I've got really my cool Rex and... Ryan shirt on now, the T-Rex. He's actually wearing it as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. And he's got a bunch Maybe of Maybe a little bit out of fashion now, but it's uh, <laughs> that was one of our best sellers ever. I, well, i got to tell you, I uh, two years ago I went down to Atlanta to visit some family, 
and I was hanging out with one of my friends at a bar, and this woman came up to me, and she goes, is that a, is that a Bills shirt? And I go, yeah, do you get it? And she goes, I'm a huge Bills fan. I don't, I don't get it. I go, <laughs> I go, T-Rex, Rex Ryan. And she goes, who's that? I, you're, not, you're not a fan. You're not a fan. Not a, get out of my face. You're certainly not a huge fan. You're certainly not a huge Bills fan, that's for sure. So, so yeah, I, it's funny. We were talking about that shirt today, how it pro- we probably could re-release it if we wanted to, and it would be uh, it would probably still do pretty well, because I think half the people that bought it didn't realize that we were actually referring to Rex Ryan. <laughs> that's it's. I'm telling you, it's a killer design, and you guys have put on a lot of those recently. I mean, one of my favorites was the Lloyd's Taco Truck Voltron shirt. That was pretty cool. I know a friend of the show, Reed Ferguson, actually joined you guys for the photo shirt on that photo shoot uh, over there. Um, and then you guys have a new one out right now, and it's the Gunslinger, <laughs> the Josh Allen themed. I'm buying that for you and me. Oh no! I, full disclosure. Uh, Dell, I was not a Josh Allen fan before the draft. Um, I was, I, I was kind of lamenting after the draft pick came out. And I mean, I'm just, hey, we're along for the ride now. You know what I mean? I'm not rooting against the guy by any means. And I, <laughs> that shirt is sharp. Who came up with the design for that? That's uh, it's funny. Shit. That's actually uh, someone from Wyoming uh, actually reached out to us, and they had designed a put together a very similar design that they released themselves through their their shirt company out in uh, Wyoming called Steamboat and Co. And so they reached out to me probably a month and a half, two months ago with the idea. And I said, okay, let me take a look at it and try and decide if we wanted to, you know, if that's the direction we wanted to go or not. So it was very Wyoming centric. Um, but I've, you know, we, we took a look at it at the office. We realized that we could, you know, put some buffalo into it, but like it's basically the Wyoming license plate or the old Wyoming license plate. Um, and but we replaced the, the the horse with a buffalo, and we changed Wyoming to buffalo, and we even put a version that comes in Bill's colors. Although I think the the brown and gold is really sharp. But um, but yeah, so just randomly, just some dude messaged me on Instagram and said, "Hey, I you know I'm from Wyoming, and I think this would be cool." And I'm like, I. Cool, and I'm glad I checked my Instagram DMs. I almost never do, so I'm glad I did that one time. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's how it came out. It just came out of the woodwork, and that's what's kind of cool too. Is that you know the the more we grow and the more people uh, discover us, you know, just more concepts, more ideas, different takes come out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. So it's um, I would assume really that, cool because the I was just say I would ahead. I would assume that happens all of the time now with as popular as it getting. There are probably graphic artists out there that contact you with like, "Hey, what about like this design? Do you guys want to use this design?" Yeah, there's uh, there's there's, there's quite a few. There's a lot more <laughs> people who just randomly email email me or DM me like, "You should make a shirt like this." <laughs> and some of them are really good concepts. Some of them are not good concepts. <laughs> but you always appreciate anybody taking the time and the fact that we're on their radar. It's really cool. Um, just, you know, I just had somebody, uh, yesterday who sent me an email for a design we're probably going to do in the next couple months, just an idea he had. He said, Hey, listen, I have no artistic ability, but here's my idea. And he shared it with me and I was like, that's a really cool idea. So I hit up one of our artists we've worked with, uh, in the past and pitched the idea to him and he's either really busy today or he thinks the idea is terrible because I haven't heard back from him yet. (laughs) 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 It's, uh, it's really cool. You know, and the, the fact that people just kind of 
want to be a part of it. You know, like the one shirt we did last summer said red, white, and then it was a picture of a blue Buffalo. Um, we, you know, that was just by a, a Bills fan in South Dakota or North Dakota or a Dakota, one of the two Dakotas. And so I was like, thanks for that idea, dude. And, you know, I sent him a shirt and I gave him the information about who we helped with it and everything. And it was just really cool that people want to be a part of it, you know, and that was the whole idea when I started it was kind of crowdsourcing as much of it as possible. And mm-hmm. we have an artist on staff, you know, Josh, who probably designs about half the shirts, but I really like using freelance artists um, as much as I can because it's fun to have, you know, fresh takes. And also they have their own audience and they can say, hey, I designed this shirt. And then people who never heard of us, now they're hearing about us through the artist and everything. So there's all kinds, there's all different advantages to that. Oh, absolutely. Anything that promotes brand awareness, especially for something like this. I mean, I'm looking at this and this shirt's going to help a, a local family who were involved in an auto accident. And it, I mean, it just seems like they, they really need some support from the community. So guys, go over to 26shirts.com and check that out. But now, Dell, I got to ask you, since we're on the topic, Charge Buffalo. This is really the thing. I mean, this really interested me because you guys already have 26 shirts and you guys do you know you guys kind of have your thing with that so when i saw this stuff about charge buffalo it's your latest charitable initiative for those guys for those of you out there who are listening who haven't seen it go to chargebflo.com and take a look it's a really interesting design and a really interesting campaign and it it's been built to help support the Buffalo City mission. Can you tell me a little bit about how that was conceived and how you put that together? Yeah, I don't want to steal too much thunder because I know uh, Josh is going to be coming out. He's our creative director. I know he's coming out to talk about it like next week or something, but I'll give you a quick rundown. It's, I'm at the point now where we've done so many different T-shirts. And maybe it's, I don't know it's good or bad or what, but like I feel like if I'm, if I'm out in public and I'm wearing a T-shirt, I feel like it has to be one for my company, right? You know, and... <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to do, I always joke, is I don't want to be wearing somebody else's T-shirt and walking down the street and somebody says, oh, it's a great design. Where'd you get it? I'm like, dang it. Not 26 <laughs> shirts. So, um, but no, seriously, though, like, we've done so much stuff. And, like, I, you know, I, I love the Bills. I love the Sabres. Um, but I don't always want to wear a sports T-shirt every single day, right? So, and one thing we noticed as well, too, was that we do a lot of special editions through 26 shirts that are – more like city pride or region pride or however you want to put it. Um, and we do shorter runs on those. And we noticed that like some of those five day runs we were doing, I was calling the yay Buffalo design, but some of those that we were doing, we're actually outselling some of our two week campaigns. So we're like, all right, there's definitely a market for, for this. Cause growing up, I mean, like, I'm 42 years old. When I was growing up, being from Buffalo wasn't something that people were necessarily proud of. I'm not saying they were ashamed of it, um, people have always been defensive of it, but now more than ever, like, you know, Buffalonians, Western New Yorkers, whatever, are, are super proud to be from Buffalo, as they should be, you know, but, um, oh, well, I was going to say, so we wanted to, you know, there's a lot of regional, well, I was going to say, there's a lot of regional pride right now. I mean, that you're right. It wasn't something that maybe <laughs> me and one of my friends have a joke about Buffalo. He's. He born here, raised here, and then he's now lived in Alaska. He's lived out in Wyoming. He now lives in uh, Pensacola, Florida. <laughs> and he constantly refers to Buffalo as sort of like in the Game of Thrones, for those of you who might get this reference, as the Iron Islands. He's, he says the only people who really seem to appreciate 
Buffalo are the people who are from there. And the people who are from there think it's the greatest place on earth, and they'll fight you over it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm here to tell you that I don't know if it's the greatest place on earth, but I think it's in my world, it's in, it's in the conversation. I love I mean, we get, you know, all four seasons. I mean, the city's on an upswing now. Like, businesses are, are starting to thrive here. You know, you know, big corporations are coming here and setting up headquarters and giant office parks and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's a real region. It's not it's finally coming out from that funk. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, and that feeds right the, into the, the quote I, that I see here, risen from rust. I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's really cool. It's a really cool kind of slogan to kind of push this whole initiative with. I like it. Yeah, thanks. We argued a long time about that. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> like, this, this whole thing, I mean, I, I tell everybody that it's Josh's pet project, which it is. You know, he's the, he's the only one designing the designs. Like, it's all... Yeah, everything's very intentional in terms of how we're doing that. We wanted to have the same feel, like, and everything. But, um, but it's something that the three of us, you know, myself, Josh, and Dan Giganti, who's my my partner with Twenty Six Shirts, um, it's something that the three of us put a lot of thought into because we love this area. We really wanted to do something that really inspired, um, you know, just you know, fellow Western New Yorkers, fellow Buffalonians, and something that really was. Not just like like kitschy or thrown together quickly. We put a lot of thought into like, all right, what is it we're trying to signify? What is it we're trying to? Um, what's the message we're trying to get through with this product line? And we want it to be more than a product line. Like we have a new website that's coming down the pike soon, and you know the charge site is going to have its own oh, section that has nothing to do with just trying to sell people stuff because there's mm-hmm. I mean hopefully people who, who know me or know what I'm doing like that's not what I'm trying to do is take advantage like that so mm-hmm. but really just like profiling people who are doing stuff in the city you know and around the city and um, really just all the people that are making Buffalo awesome and there's so many different things there's so many different people that businesses charities that are going on that people don't even know about um, mm-hmm. And so we're looking forward to hopefully exposing that a little bit more and just, you know, helping being a little bit, you know, a part of this renaissance that Buffalo is in right now. And the whole Risen from Rust thing, like the shirt, <laughs> the shirt that we're selling actually says Risen from Rust, the one of them. And it's not a coincidence that it's in the same shape as like the old Bethlehem Steel logo. Like that's really like, because that was such a huge thing when oh, yeah. know, the whole steel industry kind of, the whole steel industry kind of fell apart. And it, I think it was like a 30 or 40-year funk that it threw the region into. And the fact that we're finally coming out of it now and starting to really thrive, and there's so much more that's going to happen here. Um, it's just really exciting. Oh, absolutely. So I, don't tell, I don't have to tell you guys. You, you, you know. <laughs> how, how, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure everybody here has a family member who, works for the, who worked in some capacity or knew somebody who worked in some capacity for Bethlehem Steel. So I, I really did like that logo on that shirt. I guess for me, one of the things I've said over the last few weeks and months on this show, 2018 for me personally has been a banner year. I mean, the bills ended the drought. Not just that, I got hitched. I'm closing on my first house. And I'm proud to finally be able to say publicly that my wife and I are expecting our first child. It's it's been just really (laughs) right. It's been an incredible (laughs) eight months for my wife and I. And I, I don't want to sound, ha- thank you. I don't want to sound hacky or cliched, but I really, I've been reflecting a lot lately back on all of this. And especially after hearing Jim Kelly speak during the ESPYs. I mean, it's just kind of, it was kind of moving to me. And it got me thinking about the w- different ways I could take 
all of this stuff that's been going really well in my life and all these things that I've been blessed with and just try to pass some of that along to somebody else. And I guess that's why I'm drawn to these different initiatives and these things that you come up with. I mean, we've started doing things, small things here and there to try to, I think Jim Kelly said it best, make a difference today for somebody who's fighting for their tomorrow. That's why I'm, I'm buying one of your charge flags and it's going to fly above every single one of our tailgates this year. So if anybody listening sees it in the parking lot, that's me. That's Chris and I stop by for a beer. Awesome. And, and to take it a step further, you, you're right now, this fundraiser is geared towards the Buffalo city mission. Chris and I have been talking about doing something here for a while this year, we're going to be rolling out our own food collection drive contest this fall in advance of Thanksgiving. And it's, we're going to reach out to the Buffalo City Mission. We're in the process of kind of working all of that out with them, you know, figuring out how to set up, drop off, collection, things of that nature, because it's just something that I, I don't know. I just want to try to help. That's awesome. You know, and it worked out so perfectly, you know, working with the mission for us and everything, too, because... And I think I wrote this in the blog post that I when we announced everything. Like, not only is like our line about you know the new beginning that Buffalo kind of is in the process of living through right now, but that's what the city mission is all about. It's all about new beginnings and people who are down on their luck. And um, it just it just seemed like such a perfect fit the way it all kind of shook out. And that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. City mission is something that's very close to my heart. Um, and I, I think you know, I commend you for that. And I think it's really cool. Thanks for flying the flag. I think that works out perfectly. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And I know it's funny because I remember reaching out to you last fall and trying to pick your brain just about some ideas that I had at the time to try to get something like this up off the ground, but I just didn't. <laughs> I couldn't get my hands around it. And now that I'm a year down the road later, I, I think we were better equipped to roll something like this out. And I'm really excited about doing it. I'm excited about your projects. I, I mean, this is just great stuff. Like you said, it's a great time for the city of Buffalo. And I'm just, I don't know, it just makes me happy that there's guys out there like you who do what you do and are working really, really hard to try to just, I don't know, not just bring people something that's entertaining and enjoyable, but help people in the process. So thank you for that, Del. Oh, I, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. It's, uh, I, I don't know what to say. Thank you. It, you know, it means a lot. <laughs> Seriously, like I hate, I hate. I know I have like, you know, whatever, but like, I hate the attention, you know, um, I just, I feel like every, I'm doing what everybody should be doing if they're given that opportunity, like social media audience or whatever it is. You're a humble um, guy, man. It's positive with it. You know, give it back. You're a humble guy and it's, it's difficult to stay that way. And it's glad to see that, you know, all of us, it seems like for every bit of popularity you get, you just use that to reinvest it back into these projects that are going out to help people. So, guys, if you're listening out there right now, do do us, Dell, the area, yourselves a favor. Go check out chargeblo.com. We're going to post a link to it in the show description. And 26shirts.com. Check out the Gunslinger t-shirt. It's uh, I'm not kidding. It's sharp. I don't, <laughs> like I said, I didn't like the Josh Allen pick. I will wear that in public. Yeah, uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Yeah, um, I'm at Del Reed, D-E-L-R-E-I-D. At twenty six shirts, two six shirts, and at the Bills Mafia. That's pretty much everywhere I kind of hold it down. And at charge BFLO. So, all right, so there's a lot of places. Del, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Again, that's at Del Reed on Twitter. Dude's just a 
great human, something you're not. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, somebody else who's trying to be a great human, Twitter user G underscore Ray 34. He's going to donate $10 for every sack Harrison Phillips has during the regular season. It's incredibly generous. He's encouraging other people to join him in this endeavor. It's a bunch of guys who, at this point, philanthropy is something I'm really kind of infatuated with. I urge everybody to get out there and at least, if you can't give, then at least give the guy a follow and help support him in this endeavor. You know? Chris, what's 10 bucks? It's less than a case of Moosehead. Uh, yeah, a couple bucks less. Uh, maybe a Netflix subscription. <laughs> HBO Now. Guys, give the guy a follow. And at the same time, just, just I mean, it's Pancho Bila. We had him on the show two weeks ago. He's going to donate that money to Pancho Bila's GoFundMe. It's an incredible cause. I think it's worth supporting. So if nothing else, at least tweet the guy. Let him know that you're encouraging him on it. I mean... Philanthropy is philanthropy no matter what form it takes. And that brings us to this week's Bill's News Update. It's not even really newsworthy, but I guess we have to talk about it. Jalen Ramsey still can't shut the hell up. Chris, it's incredible to me that a guy whose focus is supposed to be on football has this much time to talk shit. I don't understand it. He... In an interview with GQ, apparently, which, first of all, you're talking to a men's fashion magazine, Jalen. And, and, if and, I knew how to read, I would read GQ. And if you ever, and I'm sorry, but if you've ever heard Jalen Ramsey speak, he's got a high-pitched voice. He's the, he's the p- picture the way Andrew Luck talks with that super baritone voice that makes him sound sort of like a caveman. Like Rob Quinn. Yeah. And at the same time you've got the polar opposite of that in Jalen Ramsey, who actually sounds like a teenager, okay? Who is sitting down with a men's fashion magazine to critique all of the quarterbacks in the NFL. And apparently he had some strong words about Josh Allen. I quote, I think Allen is trash. I don't care what nobody say, he's trash, and it's going to show too. That's a stupid draft pick. We play them this year, and I'm excited as hell. I hope he's their starting quarterback. He played at Wyoming. Every time he played a big school, they played like Iowa State, which is not a big school in my opinion because I went to Florida State. And he threw five interceptions, and they lost by a couple touchdowns or something like that. He never beat a big school. If you look at his games against big schools, it was always hella interceptions, hella turnovers. It's like, yo, if you're this good, why couldn't you do better? He fits that mold. He's a big, tall quarterback, big arm supposedly. I just don't see it. Wow, that's some excellent grammar there. He, uh, he, I, I just don't understand. First and foremost, did he wait? He left school early, right? <laughs> Had to, because I can tell by his grammar. So, well, here's what I want to say. First and foremost, and <laughs> here's what I'll say: You're talking to a men's fashion magazine, dude. You, <laughs> this isn't ESPN. This isn't Sports Center. This is not the a- Athletic. This isn't anybody who matters. You're talking to GQ. You know who else got interviewed by GQ? Um, uh, King of the butt fumble there. Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez. So good. You're holding that kind of company. And then he had some choice words on a bunch of other quarterbacks. I mean, he, he accused Flacco of sucking. He said that uh, 
Big Ben is decent at best. Uh, he called Matt Ryan overrated. And then he went on to say that Matt Stafford, I think he's straight. I don't think he's the best quarterback out there, either, you know, but he'd do what he got to do. To which Lions wide receiver Golden Tate responded, he has his opinion. I don't know when in the last time, well, when's the last time he played us? Two years ago? What happened? To which the reporter in question responded, Lions won. Ramsey was crying on the bench. <laughs> and Golden Tate just goes, oh. Oh, and puts his hands up like he just hit a walk-off home run and walks out of the room. That, oh my God. I, I'll tell you this. It's another wrinkle to, the, to look forward to this season when we play them. Exactly. We play you, dude. I, I, you, I, I, I can appreciate the moxie. I can. I mean, I'm a cocky guy. I talk a lot of trash even when I shouldn't. Here's what I'll say. Richard Sherman did it first. Richard Sherman, I shouldn't even say did it first. Most recently, Richard Sherman set that precedent for being the cocky, loudmouth cornerback who was great at what he did. Everybody else who's followed in his footsteps, you, you're, that's exactly what you're doing. You're Richard, trying to be Richard Sherman 2.0, except you don't have his hair or his grammatical skill. Okay? The guy graduated with, uh, graduated with honors from Stanford. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a smart motherfucker, what he is. So... I, I'm glad to see that Allen took it in stride. You know, he kind of gave it the, you know, hey, he's not on my team. I don't really care what he thinks. It's the right way to play it, and there's really not a whole lot more you can say, and that should be the end of the story. But here's what I want to say. I guess where I'm going with this, this isn't even something that should be conversation-worthy other than there's a pair of defensive backs on our on our schedule this year. In Jamal Adams from the New York Jets, uh, recently drafted safety out of LSU, and Jalen Ramsey. Now, both of these guys have spent this offseason writing a lot of checks with their mouth. I mean, Jamal Adams is talking to every news outlet that will take an interview with him, talking about how he's going to be the face of the franchise. He's going to be a franchise-changing player. They're going to do this, and they're going to do that. Jalen Ramsey is out here doing his best Richard Sherman impression to a men's fashion magazine. They better be able to. They better be able to cash these checks. Otherwise, that's their ass. Okay, you are putting a massive target on your back by just for for almost no reason, just being this brash in the off season. I mean, I get cockiness. You have to know that you're good at your job in order to play at the NFL level. And I know Bills fans everywhere are probably all riled up about this because we get riled up about everything, but. It's it's worth, I mean, like Dell said, there's a lot of regional pride. People are real proud to be from this area. And when you take a shot at one of us, you take a shot at all of us. I mean, <laughs> that's just the way things are. But having said that, this is a non-story. I mean, look where it was printed. I reiterate, in a men's fashion magazine. If Pro Football Talk hadn't carried the story, I never would have heard it. Because I don't read about scarves or skinny jeans, for that matter. Chris, that's your department. <laughs> so folks everybody needs to just calm down take a deep breath and let's all just enjoy the fact that football is back okay real live action football and Jalen Ramsey's gonna have to prove whether or not <laughs> he's gonna have to back up all this strong talk in just a few short weeks and with that we're gonna launch into this week's preseason week one recap Panthers 28 Buffalo Bills 23 Full disclosure for all of our new listeners. 
I'm not a film expert, and I will never claim to be one. When I give a synopsis of a given game, I want to walk you through my own personal process. I watch the game. Now, no matter whether I'm at home or whether I'm out at the stadium, there's drinks being had. Tempers might flare at times, and I might come off the rails, depending on how bad the football is or how strong the beers are. I mean, it's Chris, it's a given. Yeah, well, yeah, you are an IPA fan, so higher alcohol content, and you do come off the rails almost every week. <laughs> I always say, I, I always say, I'm not going to yell, and then during the second quarter, I oh, catch you my... no, no, not second quarter, first <laughs> drive of the game, you're yelling at the TV. You, you, I think you're like punched your own wall. It's a preseason, first game. Just calm down, reel it in. Then I sober up inevitably and start reviewing the stats, especially in regards to what I thought may have been the keys to the game while I was watching it. Then I go back and I rewatch most, if not all, of the game using the All-22 footage. Now, I know that a lot of people, oh, All-22, oh, he's some kind of film expert. Absolutely not. I don't do it so I can pat myself on the back as a quote-unquote film analyst and bloviate about all the football buzzwords I know, like pattern matching. Chris, do you have any idea what pattern matching is? No, uh, a gap. It's <laughs> about it. It's all I've learned. It's <laughs> the only four years of podcasting. A gap. I do it because I want to see with my eyes. I want to see if what my eyes when I was watching it in real time, if that's the actual story behind the result, or if there was something else going on that maybe in my you know in, in real time and maybe in my inca- slightly incapacitated state, I missed something or I missed a nuance of the game. I mean, perfect example. Your quarterback gets sacked three times from the right side of the line. I specifically go back and look at those plays to see if it was truly just Jordan Mills sucking again or if the defensive coordinator was throwing a wrinkle or two in to try to manufacture pressure like delayed blitzes, overloading that side of the line, etc. Then I take that knowledge and I look for context throughout the course of the entire game to see what other plays and coaching decisions might have gone into those, those exact situations in an effort to get a better idea of the, I guess if you want to call it, the story of the game. That's how I break all of this stuff down. So when I'm talking about this, I don't want you to think that I'm over here patting myself on the back or congratulating myself as having done some Herculean effort of film review and study. Film study, I'm sorry, I drink too much for this. I'm not, I'm not wasting my time with that. And with that being said, we are going to launch into this week's Stats of the Game. Nathan Peterman. 9 of 10 completions, 119 yards, 1 touchdown, 1 interception. Quarterback stats. As a group, all three quarterbacks had more than 110 yards. Carolina only had one backup, Taylor or Heineke, Heineke, whatever. Only one interception thrown, tied for 6th best in the NFL. Marcus Murphy, 4 catches, tied for the team lead, 30 yards. Seven rushes, 35 yards, one touchdown. Kelvin Benjamin, four catches, 59 yards, a 14.8 yards per catch, one touchdown, and one nearly crushed 50-year-old woman. Harrison Phillips had two solo tackles and one sack. Long snapper Reed Ferguson, no bad snaps because he's the cat's ass. Players with catches of 20-plus yards, six. And the front seven. One sack, one batted pass, 2.0 yards per carry allowed. And that's where we're going to start off, Chris. I mean, things really started off well, I think. 
I mean, oh, when the starters played? When the starters played, our defense... That'll fl- happen. And when you take a look at, as a whole, what our defense was, if I'm going to review it all, the starters showed up and the depth pretty much showed itself the door. As we predicted, Shaq Lawson was indeed given a boatload of snaps. He played with both the first and second teams. And he showed up early. I mean, that Cam Newton swing pass to the running back that probably could have gone for first down yardage. He swatted it down in the backfield to force a punt. That's a, that's a big-time play for a guy who doesn't really bring you much in the way of pass rush. He's at least finding ways to be productive. Now, last week, we were talking about how he could possibly be shopped in a trade, but Trent Murphy has once again <laughs> tweaked his groin, and it's unlikely that he's going to play on Friday, Chris. That's, that's better for us. Shaq Lawson gets you know, more snaps, and if... You know, who knows about the groin injury is going to be. If, if they still view uh, Murphy as the one to Lawson being two, more snaps for Lawson, maybe he'll get traded. Well, here's the problem. Given the fact that Murphy hasn't been healthy for the majority of training camp, really hasn't shown that. I mean, he's been given the number one job, and he hasn't practiced. He hasn't been with the team at all. Given this, as these games start to wind down, we may find ourselves in a place where the Bills can't afford to trade Shaq Lawson and have to keep him around as an insurance policy. It's, it's crazy to me that we're here after spending $9 million on a defensive end. Maybe he'll be okay. Maybe they're just taking it slow with him. But it sounds an awful lot. I mean, for those of you who understand the nuances of groin, knee injuries, all this stuff is hip injuries. It's all connected. You know, talking to our friend, uh, Dr. Kyle Trimble from bangedupbills.com, you follow him and you listen to some of the things that he reports on, especially in terms of ligament injuries in the lower body region. Trent Murphy's trying to come back off an ACL tear. Now, he may not be 100%, and when he goes out there and tries to practice, you may be overcompensating for that injury by using other muscles and other... It's it's human nature. You want to get out there, you want to play, but if you're not ready... You're, you're going to find a way to do the things that you need to do. You're just not going to do them the right way. You're going to cheat. You're going to use muscles you shouldn't be using or that you're not used to using, so therefore they're not that strong. And it sounds an awful lot like that's what's happening here, which terrifies me because if he's still not 100% from that ACL and we just gave him $9 million, albeit on a team-favorably structured contract, we're going to go into this season with Shaq Lawson as our starting defensive end. I, I don't see a world in which we can trade him, Chris. Now, as the statistics will indicate, the front seven as a whole was pretty good against the run. I mean, they held the Panthers as a team to just two yards per carry. In terms of individual performances that I was watching, Edmonds, Tremaine Edmonds, rookie draft pick at linebacker, was really interesting. On the first play, he just whiffs on a tackle of Christian McCaffrey, which isn't shocking. McCaffrey's no slouch. He's a compact, powerful runner who can get slippery when you've got to let him get out in space. There were also a few instances of him taking on offensive linemen. Now that was encouraging for me because he's a tall guy at six foot five. Generally speaking, even at two fifty five, you're giving up almost fifty pounds to an offensive lineman, especially in the running game. I didn't see any notable instances of him being shoved around, which means his his technique against the run is pretty sound at this point in his career. Dude, he looked bigger than Cam Newton. Oh, it was incredible how big he looked. I mean, he's a lean athlete, though, at two. I mean, he has the frame to probably play at about 265, seeing him lined up next to everybody else. Overall, I was really pleased with what I saw. 
I mean, he had that one play, Chris, remember, where, again, it's almost as if his draft profile was playing out in front of us. He made a lot of good plays in coverage, did a lot of the right things, was good against the run. But then there's a play where I think he thinks he diagnosed the play properly and that his athleticism will let him get into the backfield. So he just sticks his nose into the wrong gap and tries to penetrate. Well, Cam Newton reads that, and the the spot he vacated where he was supposed to be maintaining his, his position on the field, as soon as he left, it was just a little flip of the ball to the running back, and it ended up as like a nine-yard gain. Good enough for a first down, anyway. That's what he's going to have to learn. Those little nuances of the game. When you are the middle linebacker in a 4-3 defense, you can't have mental breakdowns like that, or else you're going to give up a lot of those easy first downs. Overall, I'm encouraged by what I saw from the kid. Now, <laughs> when the backup defenders for the game came in, that is when pretty much everything went to hell. To say that they struggled to tackle would be a gross understatement. The, t- the first team tackled the way that Chris produces this podcast. Our backups tackled the way that I think I would produce this podcast on the rare occasions when I've had a bit too much to drink not enough to eat. I tell Chris he has no clue what he's doing and he needs to get out of the chair and let me take over the keyboard. Yeah, and then you just stare at the computer like uh, like you're staring into Narnia or something. <laughs> you have no idea what, what to do. And I just stand <laughs> behind you and I laugh at you. It's, it's epic failure, folks. Last week I kind of outlined for everybody how green the secondary was and that I was really, really concerned about that lack of experience and kind of where the ceiling for their talent level is going to be. That reared its ugly head exactly the way that I thought it would. And ultimately was, in my opinion, the reason the Bills couldn't hang on to their lead in the second half. After the starters left the field, their pass defense was beat up by the Panthers' backups, and the stats tell that story. Panthers' backup quarterbacks averaged a 66% completion percentage for a combined 214 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Each one of the backups had one pass of at least 25 yards, and a review of the tackle numbers showed five defensive backs who are backups finished in the top five for tackles with a combined 15. Uh, That's out of everybody who touched the field that day, meaning that 15 times they allowed the wide receiver or running back to catch the ball and had to try to bring them down after the fact. I mean, and in the first half, Teron Johnson got a crack at, at uh, nickel corner and was just beaten cleanly off the line for a touchdown. You remember that? I almost threw my beer, and you were like trying to you were trying to talk me off the ledge. I don't remember that. I, you know, asking me. Remember when you tried to talk me off the ledge? Like which time? You went off like nine to ten times. I, I kept telling you, it's the first preseason game. Cut it out. Save it for week one. I'm not going to lie to you. Trying to rewatch the game later. There was a lot of times I literally had a couch pillow and I was biting it. Biting it with these jagged shark teeth of mine. Because there's a defensive back who's five yards off of his wide receiver in coverage. What is that? What are you doing? I get it that there's play calling involved. And maybe they called for a deeper drop than normal as far as zone coverage goes. But Jesus, you, they, they were just giving up. Hey, we're going to let him catch the ball in front of us and try to tackle. Oh, wait, guess, guess what's the one thing we can't do is tackle. <laughs> I, 
I know that it's the preseason, but considering how often teams need to rely on their backups in the secondary every single year, these guys need to shape up or Bean needs to get he needs to get back on the phone and see what kind of talent he can bring in when roster cutdowns start. Because right now I have zero confidence in this group. On the offensive side of the ball, Chris, on sort of a more positive note, quarterback play. Pros and cons. That's what I've broken this down into because really in-depth analysis, you can't get too far into it because it is preseason. I'm going to start off with the cons because I hate ending things on a bad note unless I'm talking about terrible defensive players that I don't like. Cons for the quarterbacks. First and foremost, McCarron holding on to the football. It's been a storyline throughout training camp that McCarron has been holding on to the ball for too long. He's getting he's he's he gets through his progressions. He just doesn't make a decision fast enough. And it resulted in a sack on his very first snap. I mean, it sounds like uh, sounds like Tyrod Taylor without the mobility. I mean, he, he can't move. He's just got to get that cleaned up. That's all. There were some instances where pressure was there, and I think the pressure got a little too close to him. He could have gotten the ball out faster. For Peterman, it's hard to bag on somebody whose only incompletion was an interception that should have been caught. If I had to say anything negative about the guy, it's that he needs to take a little more care to put the ball in front of wide receivers and throws like that. And that's it. Put it out in front of the wide receiver, not behind him, because otherwise that's the type of shit that's going to happen. We threw that ball to Chris Ivory, and he's too much of a veteran. You, I know it's a, a scotch behind him. Ivory's got to have that. And that brings me to Josh Allen. I'm the man who has the ball. I'm the man who can throw it faster than fuck. Patience. For all of the oohs and ahs over Allen's athleticism, arm strike. Chris, think about it. People were just... My wife was at the game. And she's texting me saying, okay, all of these people... She's like, I'm sitting in a sea of number 17 jerseys. The kid hasn't thrown a football yet. You all need to calm down. All of the oohs and ahs that happened on Thursday night over his athleticism, the arm strength, the, 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 the athleticism. He had more than a few throws where he was just greedy and just decided to throw into coverage instead of making check down throws. Again, just like Tremaine Edmonds, it was like I was watching his draft profile play out in real time. There was a knock on him coming out of college and his tendency to try to play hero ball which I'm hoping by the time the season rolls around, he can either grow out of over just experience in the game or it's coached out of him by the time he gets a chance to start because it's, it's definitely something that's going to affect his ability to be an effective NFL quarterback. I mean, we all, do you guys remember Trent Edwards? We all bagged on Trentative. him. We all, exactly. We all bag on him for being Trent Edwards because he wouldn't take a shot downfield. But you could argue that it's just as bad to be on the opposite side of the coin and be the quarterback who's just looking to launch 70-yard bombs because you're going to leave a ton of plays on the field. You're going to have a lot of three and outs. It's not a good way to play pro football. It's just not. Well, there was one instance where he threw a deep ball, which I like, because he drew two defenders offside, got the ball snapped, so it's a free play. Take a shot. Well, and that's it. That's, you like to see that killer mentality. You like to see that, that killer instinct, because that's what quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers and Tom he Brady... He always and, does that. Th- that's what they do, and it's it's nice to see that he has that as a rookie. It doesn't have to be coached into him. He has that, hey, 
I've got a free play. I'm going yard. We're going to see what happens. Worst case scenario, it comes back. It's incomplete. And it's it's it was encouraging, but again, there's patience. He's going to have to learn how to be that pro quarterback. And maybe hanging out with guys like uh, McCarron might help instill some of that in him. Knowing how to work your checkdowns and things like that. Now on the positive side of the ball, pros. We're gonna stay with uh, we're gonna stay with Allen. After hearing all the hype about Allen's arm, you'd think we'd all be desensitized to it. So it, after that throw, that very first throw, when they came out and let him just launch off play action, just launch a pass down the sideline, I turned into WWF's J.R. Ross <laughs> after that first after that first pass, Chris. I, w- what did my face look like? You, uh, I don't know, you were, I guess, in awe of his arm talent. It's the greatest <laughs> thing you've ever seen, and that's what you're starting to come around on I glazed Allen. over like a donut for a second. I was just like, oh, my God. I haven't seen a Bill Sikorovic throw a ball that effortlessly that far, and I don't even know how long. This is incredible. <laughs> that thing could bring down low-flying Cessnas. I'm convinced of it. And then he showed decent command of the offense. He, I mean, he had his mistakes, like that flailing pass on fourth down when instead of just taking the sack, he just kind of hucked the ball like on its, like a loaf of bread, just threw it into the air as he's getting dragged down to the ground. It's like, dude, you can't do that. It is it's preseason. Are you crazy? It's, it's preseason. You weren't going to save that play. Just throw it away. <laughs> And turn yeah. over on down. Throw it away Just out of throw bounds. Throw it away. Throw it away out of bounds. Don't throw it away into the middle of the field of play. I mean, it's a rookie mistake. I get it, but <laughs> yeah. And then Outside it- of that, he showed some decent command of the offense. I mean, he got out there, even with pressure in his face, because our third string offensive line, I mean, they, they couldn't stop a nosebleed. He took shots, but they were calculated shots, like you said, the attempted home run throw. The very first play, the play action pass. There was he, a there's a crossing pass where he, he knew, literally threw it through a linebacker. Yeah, he wasn't scared. He said, "Okay, there's a lot." Tyrod Taylor would have never thrown that football. No. Instead, he threw with anticipation, and that's what I want to see out of a kid that we drafted to eventually be a franchise quarterback. Switching gears to McCarron. McCarron, he showed veteran pocket presence. I mean, outside of that first pass. He has a very good feel. If you, when I'm rewatching the game, I'm watching rushers close in on him, and even though he can't see them, it's like he's accounted for them, and he knows that they're probably getting close. So you watched him step up in the pocket. You watched him move around in the pocket. That's a veteran thing. That's just a feel thing that you have to have, and he he has that, which gives him for as long as he has that, and he has the ability to get through his reads. He has a horse in this quarterback race. And then he knows when to check it down. I mean, when you look at the running back group that we have, Chris, and the group of tight ends that we have, that's not a terrible option, especially on a team where your wide receivers are probably going to struggle to get separation. I mean, Corey Coleman just got here, and he's the fa- immediately the only wide receiver that I think anybody in the league, as far as a defensive coordinator, is afraid of getting separation on their own outside of play design. So with that, being able to know, hey, okay, nothing's there. Let's check it down. Let's let's find a running back in the flat. Let's find a tight end on a short route. 
that's not the worst thing in the world considering the talent we have at those positions. And then I just, I, I was a little surprised by McCarron's arm. Okay, the, the second string offensive line gave him a decent pocket most of the time to work from. He wasn't half bad. His short intermediate range throws looked good. He had that one to Riley. Yeah. What was it? What was it, a Yankee concept? I I I I'll, I would sl- don't know. I'll slap the taste out of your mouth. You say that in this kitchen again. My kitchen, Holmes. <laughs> Yankee concept. The day you could. The day. I don't even know what that means. I know. He's. I read it on Twitter. He's like that kid from Talladega Nights. I don't know what this means, but I love it. Anarchy. <laughs> oh, what a dope. And then Nathan Peterman. Quick release on his passes. He got the ball out quickly and accurately, and that's probably the most important thing about Not this. just accurate, more accurate than Cam Newton. Now, he, well, here's the thing, though. It's hard to tell how he's going to react to pressure. During the game, he got all of his balls out in around two seconds. So the ball was coming out of his hand before pressure could really materialize, which is going to make Friday interesting in the aspect of watching to see what kind of play selection they give him. I mean, when you look at what he did from a, from the standpoint of a quarterback, he the, you could tell there was a lot of you know he's going to his first read. We're gonna do, we're gonna call a play that's gonna get your first read open. You're just gonna go snap the ball, quick read, snap the ball, quick read. That's why he wasn't in trouble was because he they they created an offensive game plan for him specifically that allowed him to get the ball out of his hands quickly to a guy who's probably going to be open or at least won't be double-covered because the defense hasn't even had a chance to cover anyone yet. It's going to be interesting to see because that's not going to happen every single down in the NFL. It's just not. So hopefully they mix up his play calling next week so we can get to see what he looks like in an A.J. McCarron-type situation. Now, Chris, that brings me to my next point. This game really showed me, as I'm re-watching it and trying to learn more about the quarterbacks, I ended up inadvertently learning more about Brian Dable. Rick Dennison, 2.0? My God, no. Thank God. I mean, as we're all painfully aware, preseason games can be pretty boring. Some of these games are just terrible because they're being played by no-name players who aren't ever, aren't ever going to scratch the surface of this league. That's by design. I mean, coordinators don't want to tip their hands. But you can still come to some conclusions. You can draw things from the way the game plays out about how an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are in terms of just tendencies and their abilities as a play caller. I I rewatched this game and came away with what I believe is just a bigger uh, air of confidence, I want to call it, in what I've come to know about Brian Dable from watching Alabama during his time there. And that's the idea that he's capable of drawing up a scheme that he thinks best fits his quarterback skill set. He's scheme versatile. We saw it in the national title game. Chris, you, he had two distinctly different playbooks for backup to a tag of Viola and starter Jalen Hurts. And watching, rewatching this game on Thursday really reminded me of it. I've always thought that when we drafted Josh Allen, my brain immediately went to that national title game because Josh Allen and Tua both have cannons for arms. Mm-hmm. And so with Daybowl calling those plays in the title game, now I was like, we draft Allen. Now I'm envisioning Allen making those kind of throws that 
Tua was making and that kind of play calling. Down the field, attacking the secondary, and hopefully attacking uh, Jalen Ramsey in November. Can't, <laughs> can't wait for that. So this is what I took away from it. I mean, and you hit the nail on the head, Chris. Like I just said, Nathan Peterman's passing play is kind of, it was a quick strike offense. It was meant to be one read. We're going to snap the ball. Here's where you're going to look to go with it. And if it's a one-on-one situation, you're going to release the ball. It also prevented Nathan Peterman from having to stand in a pocket and try to rely on his skills as far as his skill set, as far as reading the field. I mean, Chris, you're talking about a guy who threw five picks. Yeah, what, well, not in his all very of first those appearance. were his fault. No, but that being said, you want to build the kid's confidence. So you look at what he's good at. What can he do? He can deliver a compact throw within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. And he can do, and he can, if you give him a route and say, this is where you're going to throw it, it's a timing route, he'll throw it and he can throw it pretty well. Yeah, I think, I think he throw. I think Peterman throws real well with anticipation. Well, and so that's it. They really let him go out there and just th- quick strike timing routes. And they let him go out there and sling it, which, if you're talking about pro football against first string defenses, you sort of live and die by the quarterback's accuracy if that's the kind of offense you're trying to run 24-7. But that being said, I think they're working towards getting his confidence back. They want to see, hey, if we run, the, we think that this type of package would work best for you, go out there and execute it. And he did. He almost flawlessly executed it. I think Peterman's ability to nab a starting job might hinge on this ability to prove that his success in executing that style of offense, Chris, that quick strike, hey, we're going to get it out quickly. We're not going to give defenses time to, you know, hey, we see the alignment. Let's let's switch positions. Or, hey, let's load up and let the pass rush get home and get coverage sacks. Well, if we get the ball out in two seconds, you can't even get into place to cover because he already knows where the ball is going. That might be able to get him on the ground and running while he kind of learns how to develop his vision as a passer. In contrast, the passing plays for McCarron were a lot more deliberate. They mixed in a lot of play action to freeze the linebackers, and a, which allowed McCarron to sit back in a pocket, diagnose what he was seeing, and then throw the football. That kind of play selection, in my opinion, illustrates that Dable was comfortable enough with McCarron's ability to feel pressure and read the open field, and instead of just limiting him to, hey, quick strike throws, timing routes, let him kind of use his own discretion in terms of where he was going to throw the football. And then with Josh Allen, from from Jump Street, it was clear that Dable wanted to see what the kid's arm could be used for. I mean, Chris, let's face it. That's what we wanted as fans is just first play. Just throw it. Throw it over the scoreboard. Guys, if you gave me a bazooka for Christmas and then you told me that I had to wait a few months to open it, the day that I got it out of the box, you bet your ass I'm going to fire that thing five or six times. Just for shits. Just for shits. Just to see how it looks. <laughs> I, I'm picturing Dwight Schrute in the office when he, in, in the final episode when he got to shoot that bazooka. <laughs> oh, in total of his 19 attempts, Josh Allen threw 10. 10 passes that traveled 20 or more yards in the air. Three of them were 60-yard passes. And in every single one of those long balls, it was like he was just barely out throwing the wide receiver. 
Yeah, I think, and I think I want to say uh, three or four of his passes hit receivers in the hands, and those receivers were. Uh, I don't. I don't know what to do with my hands. Do I use them to catch a catch the ball? <laughs> They're walking away from the play like hot hands Heenan and little giants. Guys, I put gloves on you when you're cold. I, cl- I clip your nails. Why are you doing this to me? Yeah, he had, it's like he was playing with guys from Wyoming. I mean, I, I couldn't all, catch anything. All I walked away from watching his performance was thinking, Jesus, what could he do with a speed wide receiver or or any kind of offensive line help? Anything that could help him kind of sh- give him a little more time or maybe catch one of those deep balls. I, I think it'll be fun to see once Coleman gets acclimated to the playbook and uh, they pair him with Josh Allen and he's got single coverage and he beats his man, his, the beats a DB right off the line and can just go on a go route and Josh Allen can throw that thing I mean, as over them mountains. So as this all kind of is going through my head and I'm rewatching the game and the game's over, and I sit back and I have to think about what did I just watch? It all comes together in my head as a picture that we have an offensive coordinator on this staff who's capable of bringing a very varied style of offense to the table. It just depends on who's under center that day. And if the reports are to be believed, last year... He did this every single week from October until the national title game in hopes that he would get to just turn to a tag of Viola, just turn him loose on some of these teams that we played down the stretch on Alabama's schedule. Nick Saban, I think he thought that, hey, going with the guy who got me to a title game last year can't be a bad decision. But yeah, but he, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Exactly, and that was, and that was Nick Saban's approach. But every week, Brian Dable brought to, brought to the game. Here's the game plan when Jalen Hurts is in. But just in case we need to, uh, here's a completely separate down-the-field passing play, essentially game plan. And we saw him do it in three different ways with three very different quarterbacks with different skill sets last Thursday night. When I, re- when I read that, you, you have separate game plans like that for different quarterbacks. All I can think about is, how much time is Daybolt spending at the facility? The amount of time <laughs> to draw up two different playbooks for different quarterbacks based on their on their uh, strengths and weaknesses. I don't know. He's got to be living. He's probably he's probably has a one bedroom at the facility. He has to live there. A year removed from the uh, Rick Dennison disaster of 2017, I'm encouraged so far by what I've seen from Brian Daybolt. Now, I, I'm not calling Super Bowl. I'm just saying that based on where we've been, I mean, think about the offensive coordinators we've seen. Rick Dennison, Nate Hackett. Um, Greg <laughs> Roman. Greg, Greg Roman was probably the most successful of everybody who was Turk here. Schoner. Turk Schoner. Turk <laughs> Schoner. Curtis Mocken, but he game, didn't call plays. This game leaves me a certain level of confidence heading towards the season. That's, I, that's my takeaway. And then there's Marcus Murphy. I threw this in here because I fucking told you so. He is our hero of the week. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. Last week, I argued with Mario Granada from Hashtag Sports about the fact that Travaris Cadet is a plain running back. Like vanilla yogurt. Like a male (laughs) gym teacher that drives a Kia. Just plain and boring. Well, Murphy has what might be the most explosive skill set of anybody in the running back group outside of LaShawn McCoy. 
and he, sh- he I'm, I'm happy to see that he didn't make me an asshole on this. He showcased it on Thursday. I mean, you think about it. He put up stats even though there was a, a widespread rotation going on. But re- he didn't take any penalties uh, like Keith Ford did and eventually kept that bouncing. Guy, that guy sucks. Rewatching his plays, he was the most elusive and had the most burst out of anybody who's listed as a backup running back on the roster right now. And that's an important wrinkle to remember. I mean, if I was trying to pick a running back to make the roster as my running back three, Chris, I personally, I want the guy who's explosive enough for me to not have to at least completely change my play calling from when my running back one was on the field. If LaShawn McCoy leaves the field for rest, injury, whatever the case may be, Marcus Murphy, at least if you're looking at the options you have available, I'm not saying he's LaShawn McCoy. I'm sure some of you are going to take that and tweet me later and tell me, oh my God, you're off base. Nah, blow it out your ass. Okay, how about that? What I'm saying is that Marcus Murphy, from the standpoint of a backup running back, is our best case scenario in terms of not having to drastically alter our week-to-week or even in-game game plan. You can keep calling the same plays because he does have that a little bit of wiggle to him. He's, got, he's a smaller running back, but he's not tiny. He's got some power. He can run between the tackles or he can bounce outside. And in space, he can shake a guy or two. Yeah, who wants to go back to Mike Tolbert? <laughs> Not this guy! And that brings us to this week's Zero of the Week, the very first one of the season, and that award went to the backup secondary. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. I guarantee you these guys are a dump in the box. Pedestrian. Inferior. Uninspiring. Characterless. Second rate. That's all the answers I could get for the term mediocre from thesaurus.com. <laughs> and what I believe is being generous to the play of that, that specific group of players. They need to get it together ASAP because shit happens in the NFL. Cornerbacks, I mean, you're talking about guys who are, I mean, we talk about soft tissue injuries at least once a year on this podcast. And we talk about the position groups that they affect most often. Running backs, wide receivers, cornerbacks. Those are the guys who are cutting both horizontally, vertically. You know, they make lateral moves. They make, you know, forwards, backwards. They're constantly accelerating, decelerating, trying to cut on a dime. Injuries are going to happen. Last year, we were incredibly lucky as a football team to get out without any major injuries to our starting secondary other than EJ Gaines, which is a big part of the reason he's not here anymore. With that being said... You're going to have injuries. Things are going to happen. I highly doubt that we're going to be that lucky on the injury front again. So our backups are going to have to be good. They're going to have to be good enough to start on a Sunday or to bring in in the middle of a game on a Sunday and not cost us the game. And out of our backups, I didn't see that, Chris. I just didn't. There's not a single one of them that inspires any kind of confidence in me. I saw you trying to punch a wall over this. (laughs) It's a first preseason game. Let it go. And you did... I hate saying it. You were right. You mentioned it last week. You were concerned with our defensive secondary as far as depth, and it showed in the first preseason game. I'm not a genius. I'm just a dude who drinks a lot of beer, watches a lot of football, and occasionally I know some shit. All right? Speaking of knowing some shit, I know a lot more than uh, SB Nation writers. Okay? 
We're gonna outline this for you. SB Nation has proved once again that they have no fucking clue. I didn't even want to bring this to the show, Chris, but I'm doing it. I'm folding it in. We're bringing it up. Remember how last week I told everybody to stop freaking out about the national media? Because they're either their articles are either clickbait or written by people who don't actually watch our games or worse, are written by people who just don't know what the hell they're talking about. SB Nation strikes again, much to the ire of Bills fans everywhere. In an article, or, or no, is she, what is she here? Bleacher Report, SB Nation, Rebecca Toback, Chris. Let's, let's Toback. Let's see what you got here. Well, do, do, she, do, you do, have do. here in your notes, graduated from Syracuse, and she's a Bengals beat reporter. Yeah, she's a beat reporter for SB Nation's Cincy Jungle. Okay, so she. Okay, so just to give this, you know, full full disclosure, let's give you some context. She is a beat reporter for an SB Nation website, but she's one of their. They're touting her as somebody who really knows her shit, and they're trying to pump all of her work over there on that website. Okay, you are now you're a mainstream media site, and you have a little bit of a slant because it's a guy in your division. In an article written by this hack who graduated from Syracuse University, but is a, somehow works in Cincinnati, which probably explains why she doesn't know how real football works because she hasn't seen it. The rookie quarterbacks that played in this preseason were graded, and the results she came to were pretty funny. She gave Ravens backup quarterback Lamar Jackson a B- while giving Josh Allen a C. This is what she had to say about Jackson. This was Jackson's second game since the Ravens played in the Hall of Fame game. He didn't do much of note in the passing game, going 7 of 18 for 119 yards. His ability on the ground is, the, is one thing the Ravens particularly like about him, and he showed his skills, his, he showed his skills there with 21 rushing yards and a nice march into the end zone. That's what she wrote in her article and justified giving Lamar Jackson a B-. In her grades. Here's a review of each quarterback's statistics to date. Lamar Jackson threw two games. 11 of 28, 152 yards. A 39.3% completion percentage. 5.4 yards per average, or per attempt. One touchdown, one pick. 13 rushes for 56 yards. One touchdown, a 3.5 yards per carry. His longest was 10 yards, and he has taken five sacks in two games. Here's the stat line from Josh Allen through just one game. 9 of 19, 116 yards, 47.4% completion percentage, 6.1 yards per attempt, one touchdown with no picks, three rushes for 29 yards, and a 9.7 yards per carry, the longest being 13 yards. And yet somehow Lamar Jackson is better than Josh Allen. You're a f***ing Are you out of your mind? Our guy, both statistically, which is what most hacks, (laughs) most hacks that work out there in the world, that's what they look at. They they just go to the statistics and say, oh, well, the statistics say that this quarterback's great. I mean, that's what people did with Tyrod. They pointed at him and said, hey, well, look, his QBR is phenomenal, so he must be a good quarterback. And yet the team wasted no time getting rid of him. How many people are just listening to you babble about this are going to now immediately call you sexist? I don't care. I'm not sexist. 
I enjoy women. I love women. I think women can talk about sports. I really do. My problem is I don't care whether you're a man, woman, child. If you're going to talk out of your ass about football and try to get paid for it, I reserve the right to talk shit about you. I'm sorry. Having said that, I'm going against my own advice here by getting riled up. And that's exactly what I'm trying to point out because I went down the fucking rabbit hole and I advise that none of you else, nobody follow me. Don't do it. Don't go down it. Don't get angry because in truth, it's terrible biased journalism. She's a fan of the AFC North. She's a fan of a team that's in that division. She's probably trying to pander a little bit towards team. Yeah, because people will go... I know I do it with the SB Nation websites. I'm constantly at gangreennation.com or Pet's Pulpit or you know, over at the Finsider, although really they don't, their fan base, nobody in Miami actually pays attention to the Dolphins. They just wear the jerseys on game day. So that one's kind of boring. But I go to their fan sites to see what the what fans are thinking, what the pulse of, you know, the fan reaction and to what's going on with their football team is because that's really where I'm looking to, hey, What's going on with your team? Ask somebody who cares about it. In that same vein, she may be pandering to the AFC North just because, hey, that's this might drive clicks from the Ravens fans to my articles. I don't know. All I know is, is that this is another example of people who work in a national media outlet who have no clue what they're talking about. Josh Allen's stats blow Lamar Jackson's out of the water. Lamar Jackson will be lucky to see a football field ever. Ever, Chris, based on what I've seen. Meanwhile, Josh Allen, I, it, the jury's out, but he's at least in the mix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he, I think we're going to expect him on Friday to play with the twos. I mean, unless you believe uh, Lamar, uh, unless you believe Jalen Ramsey that Joe Flacco is trash. <laughs> in which case, in which case, uh, maybe we'll see him sometime soon. Oh, man. I had to get that off my chest, people. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm such a crank. God. Or sexist. <laughs> Don't you put that evil on me, Chris Krueger. <laughs> now, speaking of Tyrod. Mm. My God. I'm going to have to open a beer for this next segment. A fresh one. Because the, the lukewarm one that I've just been sipping on is not going to do it. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Fact, you like, yeah. You Get, like that? Just dump beer on my table. Spray. Aggressively opening beers over here. You'll, because, be do, you'll be doing it Friday. Because it's time, Chris, to talk about our upcoming preseason game. Week two, Buffalo Bills at the Cleveland Browns. This week, the Bills are traveling to Ohio. The mistake on the lake, Cleveland. Home to the factory of sadness to take on the Cleveland Browns and their shiny new quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, and some guy who's going by Tarod Taylor. It's weird. I mean, I, I, I've never heard of him. And He's trash. I, I mean, but I see him. He's trash. He looks familiar. Trash. I mean, he, he looks familiar. He's wearing a jersey that I, the, a number that I've seen. I mean, Tarad? He's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, if you ask Brown's new left tackle, Joel Batonio, or watch Hard Knocks, there's some guy named Tarad Taylor hanging out over there in Cleveland. I don't know. 
Apparently, everything that goes there turns to crap, including names. In a move that I feel like is just asking to blow up in their faces, the Browns, fresh off an 0-16 season, and now the subjects of HBO's TV show about loser franchises, Hard Knocks, have partnered with Bud Light to give away free beer when the Browns get their first win of the season. Chris, imagine. Just when Browns fans felt like their team couldn't taunt them any more than they already have, they dangle an actual physical thing that you need to get through most of their games in front of them, like a carrot that they will absolutely struggle to ever get their hands on. That's a Bud Light. (laughs) It's disgusting. I'd rather drink a cup of my own piss. That's a bold statement. I'm going to hold you to that. I feel like this is what rock bottom looks like, folks. A franchise offering to give you things for free. In this case, booze of all things. If you simply bear with them for another season. (laughs) What fan wouldn't have faith in that to work? Right? I mean, if any of you out there have been paying attention to Hard Knocks so far, here's what I've seen. I've got wide receiver Jarvis Landry. I've watched him curse and repeat the phrase, bruh. Not bro. Not broheim. Not uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Bruh. B-R-U-H. About 386 times. I've watched defensive end Carl Nassib educate his teammates on how personal finance works and contribute almost nothing on the field. I've watched head coach Hugh Jackson, owner of a 1-31 in record as a head coach, inform his underleagues who themselves share a head coaching record of 36-58 and that he knows better than they do about running a team. And then world-renowned boobs Todd Haley and Greg Williams have a heated debate over whether it's okay to hit the quarterback during practice. Spoiler alert, it's not. What? (laughs) What an idiot. Oh, what a loser. I mean, I, I, I hate this football team, Chris. I hate the Browns. Almost as much as I hate the Patriots. Okay? I mean, I, I don't know if... I, I'm, <laughs> I don't know how this all came about. I mean, here's what I can tell you. The Patriots, I hate them because they beat the Bills constantly. The Browns, I hate them because of just... I, I don't know what it is. I, it, our, our franchises are continually linked. Like two 300-pound guys in a three-legged race. I don't care whether it's the trades we've made... Listeners of this show betting us on Seagrams in regards to their ineptitude are just this long-standing history of nightmare games that we've played against each other. I mean, th- Chris, the snow game. The 6-3 to three game. Roscoe Pierce fumbles inside of the 20-yard line. And the Browns still can't score a touchdown and have to settle for a game-winning field goal. The double quarterback knee injury game where both Brian Hoyer and E.J. Manuel left the game. The wide right 2.0! You said Trenton of Edwards earlier in the, in the show. That's the game where Trent Edwards threw three first quarter interceptions, and the Browns only scored six points! <laughs> both teams were so bad that the game still came down to a last-second field goal, which we shanked in brutal fashion, because that's how we do things when we play the Browns. 
I mean, I swear to God, there needs to be something written into the Geneva Convention that prevents these teams from playing each other on primetime TV. <laughs> Chris, if they have to play each other, absolutely have to, it should have to be played off U.S. soil somewhere on one of those, well, what are the islands that they use to t- test the H-bomb? I mean, Jesus Hawaii, Christ. Hawaii? Whatever it is. I don't care. Cuba? Get it the hell away from the mainland. People might be hurt. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm just trying to picture. <laughs> oh, my God. Chris, Friday night. We're going to open another sad chapter in our longstanding history of atrocious football games against the Cleveland Browns. What could possibly go wrong? This is my hell. We haven't had a meaningful game against Cleveland since the 1988 playoffs. That Ronnie Harmon drop in the corner of the end zone. That was literally like tw- like 28 years ago. We had the snow game. 30 years ago. We had the snow game that dictated who made the playoffs, and they won. Jamal, Jamal Anderson ran the ball all over everybody in the snow when no one could see. Jamal Lewis? Yeah, Jamal Lu- Lewis Anderson. Ooh, Derek Anderson was quarterback. I don't care. It doesn't <laughs> matter. None of this matters. Oh, my God. Chris, on to the game. <laughs> oh, my God. The time, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, some dump in the heart of the mistake on the lake. The weather, cloudy, 11-mile-per-hour winds, 50% chance of rain, which hopefully turns into hail the size of cinder blocks the second our players leave the city limits. Okay? To hell with that place. Just taking a look at the early injury reports. The Cleveland Browns are a little bit banged up. Wide receiver Ricardo Lewis is out for the season. I mean, he's a veteran. Neck injury. Wide receiver Josh Gordon is out because he's, you know, his personal issues, Chris. Offensive guard Kevin Zeitler. That's a big one. He's out with a calf injury. They're trying to nurse him back so that they can get him for week one. He will not play. Defensive lineman Caleb Brantley, he's questionable with a leg injury to the point that they've been shopping around for other defensive linemen. For Buffalo, what I know is that everybody who was injured in the last game has pretty much come back to practice. Trent Murphy's probably not going to play. That's the one I know as of the recording of this show. Now, last week, we kind of gave just a high, just an overarching view of what, we, what we're looking for in all of these preseason games and who we think matters, or at least what points we think matters. Here are some added wrinkles for this game against the Browns that we're going to be looking at. The first one is the defensive approach to Tyrod Taylor. Right, wait, I, got, I think I got it. I think I got it. I think I got it. We're going to make him be a quarterback? My God, you have no idea how sick I got of hearing that. From every time we'd get shut down and held to three points, or when you know just Tyrod couldn't score points, and at the end of a game they'd go to the the Ravens two years ago, week one, we scored one offensive touchdown the whole game, and they asked what the what the key was, and Terrell Suggs tells the reporter, "Well, you know, we had to make him a passer." That's your job. <laughs> you have one job to throw the football. I don't give a shit how much you can run. Now, we're in a setting right now where the play calling is fairly vanilla. I'm interested to see how Tyrod performs against a group of guys who already know his tendencies as a quarterback and a defensive coordinator who watched an entire season of Tyrod play up close and personal. You got Browns fans buzzing over the fact that he went 5-5 five and five with, a, with a touchdown. Yeah, Chris, we saw that touchdown. And we diagnosed it. It's yeah. a blown coverage and a pass that in a real football situation, he probably wouldn't throw. No, it was a, the one thing I pointed out, it was a bad angle taken by the linebacker to coverage. 
He took a bad angle on Njoku. If Chris knows this, people, if Chris can see that. Yeah, I diagnosed that on my own, uh, maybe four drinks in over at Drew's. <laughs> That was the first thing I noticed. He took a horrible angle to the tight end. So what I'd like to see is whether or not this uh, Cinderella turns into a pumpkin or if he continues to look good as a passer in whatever it is Todd Haley's created over there, which if you're watching Hard Knocks, it's (laughs) I'm guessing it's going to amount to a wet fart. Uh, Front seven against the Browns rushing attack. Last week, the Browns rushing They just managed all players, quarterbacks, running backs, 1.5 yards per carry on 33 attempts. I mean, Chris, that's bad. That's bad by college football versus NFL standards. If you consider that they have Nick Chubb, who was a monster at Georgia and was one of my favorite value picks in this entire draft. And if you go back to our draft show with Matt Waldman, he had uh, Chubb as, like, the best running back to come out if he's back healthy in, yeah. like, the last seven years. Best all-around running back. And then former 49ers standout Carlos Hyde, along with two mobile quarterbacks in Baker Mayfield and Tyrod Taylor, I find that really surprising that they couldn't find any success on the ground. So now the question is, was it just because they didn't try, or was it because that they just didn't build it, or is it because their offensive line just doesn't get any push? or that their guys just aren't seeing the field properly. Considering how well our defense looked against the run last week, we held Carolina two yards of carry. And also just the injuries on the Browns offensive line and the shuffling that they've been doing. It's going to be interesting to see if we can contain all of these rushing threats. And in all, it doesn't matter who, starters, backups. I want to see whether last week was a fluke or whether this is something and hey, maybe our run defense as a team has simply gotten better. Yeah, if uh, Harrison Phillips is going to get the start, and would you say uh, Kevin Zeitler is out? Yeah. You know, he'll be working inside. You know, mm-hmm. they'll have to put in a, a second-team guard. Yeah. You know, that's that's some good, a decent experience for Harrison to take on. I'll I'd like th- to see him penetrate the pocket. <laughs> I'll say this now. If, if, we as a, if we can hold the Browns to, with all the talent they have, they should be running the ball pretty friggin' well. If we can hold them to under three yards of carry, I'll start to buy into this idea that our run defense might actually be better than what we saw last year. I'll start to drink the Kool-Aid. Not Kool-Aid, the Seagrams. <laughs> now, speaking of Kool-Aid, a lot of people, a lot of people in Cleveland drinking the Baker Mayfield Kool-Aid right now. And I, I can't blame him. He carved up. I mean, his, his game, when you went back and watched it, I rewatched the Browns versus Giants game because, A, I was drunk and I missed a lot of... <laughs> I'll admit it. I was drunk and I missed the whole... I think I saw, like, really saw two or three of Baker Mayfield's throws. There was a, that slant touchdown that shows his accuracy right there. So I went... And I, and I rewatched their game while I was putting show notes together and doing all this research. I had it on in the background and I waited for Baker's, you know, Baker's repertoire to come out. He's, ugh. I mean, he looks good. Now, on the flip side, some guy named Heineken, or is it Hanky, whatever the hell that guy's name is, I mean, <laughs> he threw all over our backup defenders last week. Our defensive backs just couldn't cover anybody, Chris. 
And as anybody who reads sports news or cares about football knows, Baker Mayfield is accurate. He's an accurate quarterback as long as he's got a clean area to throw from and he can set his feet. I I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think it... Baker Mayfield against our backups, if this game turns into a blowout, I feel like this is where it's going to come from. It's going to be our backup secondary against Baker Mayfield. If he carves us up, Chris, I if it goes as poorly as it did last time, I think that's going to be the bat signal to McDermott, Bean, and Frazier that they have to, they have to really start scouting outside the organization for help. Because there's no way we can go into this we can go into the season with the depth that we currently have at defensive back. Not if they can't pick up their play and actually cover wide receivers. And it's not like they're gonna be playing slouches. The Browns have a pretty impressive wide receiver group. Although <laughs> depending on whether or not you believe Antonio Callaway, I mean, you know, Ah, that, that weed wasn't mine, it was just in my car. And I don't it was know. My bro- it was my and, younger brothers. And they profiled me. And then the cop walks up to the car and says, Hey, I can smell this weed out here. You got any weed in there? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's weed in there. Shocker. But the guy in the car didn't know it. <laughs> they may be minus a wide receiver, but even with that, their group of pass catchers is pretty good. So this is going to represent stiff competition for these backups. This is where some of these guys, in my opinion, Chris, are going to win or lose their jobs on this roster. And then wide receiver Corey Coleman, his usage, you, what unit he plays with, the number of snaps they let him take. I mean, the guy just got here. You have to know the nuances of the offense. I know everybody's really excited and they're like, oh, he's going to get a chance to play against his former team. I wouldn't be shocked, Chris, to see him get maybe five to ten snaps. Tops. He's a guy who doesn't know the playbook, so he's probably more prone to running a poor route. And at the same time, he also, by all accounts, every day after practice, he's been working with the team to get extra conditioning in because he came here from Cleveland not in the type of shape that the Bills trainers wanted him to be in. That's a problem. Yeah, they had at the beginning of Hard Knocks, episode two. They were making fun of uh, how out of shape he was. Yeah. I mean, this is it, and this is the Bills brass being like, look, you get on board or get out. We gave away a pick that we would normally just throw away anyway. So if they cut him, we really didn't lose anything. I think there's incentive for him to try hard and to do well, but at the same time, if the guy doesn't want it, you can't make him. It's going to be interesting to see how they use him because I'm I'm certain they're going to give him at least a handful of snaps, and that's what I'll be keeping an eye on. And then obviously, Chris... Quarterback snap percentage and what unit they play with. Well, give me the breakdown. Who's playing where? I, in my opinion, I'd love, after last week's performance by Josh Allen, I kept saying, I mean, I put something on Twitter about how, oh man, this Wyoming tape is really hard to watch because Josh Allen is just under siege. Oh, wait a minute. These are the Bills' third stringers. <laughs> he was under siege and he had wide receivers who just couldn't catch the ball. I would be supremely interested to see what he looked like as a quarterback. Maybe not with the ones, but at least with the twos. Give him a group that A.J. McCarron got that can protect him, give him some time in the pocket, and some wide receivers like Streeter who are fast enough to run underneath the football because clearly he can Uncle Rico that thing over the friggin' mountains. Okay, who's, who's starting the game? 
I feel like this is going to, I mean, this week we heard that Nathan Peterman practiced with the third string this week. I have a feeling they're trying to get him familiar with those players because now that they've seen Peterman with the ones, they're going to give McCarron the ones. I wouldn't be shocked if G- if Josh Allen gets that number two role. So you're, going, you're going McCarron, Allen, Peterman. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. That's my take for this week. That's how I see it laying out, just because of what I saw last Thursday. They saw what they had in him. You know, they got probably the best game they're going to get from Nathan Peterman. So playing him again with the ones, unless you're going to mix up the play calling, isn't going to get you anything new. And so let's see what McCarron has. If, if this is actually a quarterback competition, let's see what he's got. Let's see what he can do against a starting defense, which by all accounts, they spent a ton of money and a ton of draft capital trying to rebuild. Let's see if they're as good as advertised. Then let's see what Allen can do with a little bit of protection and with a little bit better talent in a wide receiver group. I I just think it's a no-brainer. If the team doesn't do it, then that's going to be a sign that they really don't have a whole lot of faith in him. And that's just it. It's just a sign that they don't have faith in his development yet enough to put him in that position. That's why it's going to be interesting, and that's what we're going to be looking for on Friday night. Guys, thank you so much for stopping by tonight. We got to get out of here. Like we said earlier, chargebflo.com, 26shirts.com. Go check out Del Reed's work over there. I mean, the man yeah. is, I mean, he's hes put this region on his back. Yeah, he's on hes on Twitter, at Del Reed. Give him a follow if you haven't already, but I assume almost all of Buffalo already follows him on Give Twitter. Give the Charge Buffalo Twitter handle a follow as well. Okay, do that for me. Do it for Drew. Guys, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Can't wait for Friday night. This has been the Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.